0: Everything okay? Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Yeah, now we just need the Xanax <laughs> yeah. No, but there's no, no reason joking. to be nervous. We'll be fine. Yeah. I want you to feel
1: comfortable. What yeah, can yeah, I, I what can fine. I do to no, make you? No, everything's fine. Everything's
0: fine. Rui will tell you once I start talking I don't yes. stop anyway.
2: So this is gonna be easy for me. It's gonna be easy for you? Okay, so <laughs> when
0: it's no, not easy for her. Yeah. <laughs> so. When Roy and I first started dating I don't know if it was... Somebody from my family or his family said that we make a perfect match because I speak enough for both of us.
1: <laughs> That's not very nice. <laughs> <laughs> That's not very charming. <laughs> and is it
0: true?
2: She talks more than me. Okay. I'm, uh,
0: You're better now. You used to be much quieter. Yes. He speaks more now.
2: Okay. <laughs> I t- also, I take my time. And she speaks very quickly. Hello. Okay. You'll see. <laughs>
1: You're listening to the ETH podcast. My name is Jennifer Kakshori, I'm your host, and with me today I have two guests. Please introduce each other.
0: So, Roy Poran, my husband of almost 12 years and father of my two boys, and he's a senior scientist in the Department of Computer Science here at the ETH.
2: This is Anana Poran, my wife and the mother of my two children. She's a senior scientist at the Department of Chemistry, walking on computational chemistry.
1: What is a senior scientist in opposition to a postdoc?
0: Um, so a senior scientist is a position that you can get in the ETH, um, and it is very broadly defined. So different groups use that position for different types of activities. Generally speaking, it is a scientist who has already has uh, some postdoctoral experience, And they are continuing to work in the group. Some of them are doing habilitation, which is common in the German-speaking countries. Some of them are working to support the existing uh, research in the group. Some of them are teaching. Um, In my case, I have been given a lot of freedom. So I basically am running my own research program as a small group within the larger group. So this is very similar to what in the German system is called a group leader, But it is not necessarily so. So other senior scientists in the department have very different definitions for their job, um, even though the title is the same. And I also teach. And some people only teach, some people only do research.
1: It was just announced that you got a Branko-Weiss Fellowship. Mm -hmm. What freedom or what pressure does this fellowship give you?
0: Um, It gives a lot of freedom in the sense that the money is not earmarked for specific things. I can basically do whatever I want with it. I have chosen to invest most of it in paying for a PhD student who I'm now working with, and she's awesome. Um, But the money could also be used for travel, for equipment, for um, anything that can help us with moving the research forward. On the other hand, of course, there's also the responsibilities of it, which is, I think, mostly the wanting to prove them right, that it was a smart investment in me. I want them to feel that they made a right choice, and I just came back last week from the BroncoVice symposium, and I got to meet the other fellows. And um, I wanna, f- I wanna feel at the end of the fellowship that I, I earned my spot with them because they're a gr- really a group of amazing people. So you said
1: that your partners in crime—does <laughs> that mean you know about each other's research? Do you understand what your wife does? Oh
2: yes, yeah, we we talk a lot about research. Um, I have a background in physics, so I know a little bit of what topics she talks about. And I can sometime also give her my opinion. Also, since she transitioned to computational chemistry, you know, with my background in computer science, there are a few things I can say about this. Yeah, I pretty much understand how things work in that side.
0: And vice versa also? Well, I definitely cannot understand the nuts and bolts of what he does, but I understand the concept of it and the importance of it. Um, I think my biggest contribution to Roy is more on the communication side, so preparing presentations and going over texts and things like that, and being his biggest fan.
1: (laughs) You transferred to Switzerland four years ago, you said? Five years ago?
0: It was um, summer of 2015.
1: So you're here now for four and a half years in Switzerland. What was it like to adjust to being in a completely different culture? You came from Israel to Switzerland. Different culture, different temperatures, <laughs> different life.
2: I think the biggest shock was the cost of living here initially. And we moved with the children, so everything is more expensive. They go to a private school, which is expensive. We didn't know how to handle this financially. So I think I remember the second weekend we were here, we were kind of talking and realized that we cannot really survive here. We were, like,
0: we were panicking. We
2: were, we were definitely panicking. I was starting to look at, like, can we I do any... We had Excel si- charts. Yeah, <laughs> can I do any any side jobs? In the end, you realize that it's not that bad and you you learn how to...
1: Yeah. So you're not yeah. cab drivers on the side? Or something. No, we, do,
0: we don't do Uber on the side. No, it was fine. I think that we did panic, but also because we were both very financially responsible and we came from a place where we always had savings, we we always had money left over at the end of the month and suddenly we were afraid that we didn't have that that safety net. But actually things worked out also quite the, well. Also the, the
2: cost of moving here is pretty oh, yeah. high. So the, the, the first initial cost.
0: Yeah, we put a lot of our yeah. savings into just the transition to get here. Yes. Roy, you're here at ETH
1: because of you. Both of you got a job here because of you. Well,
2: we searched for a place for both of us, and we did have other opportunities that didn't materialize. Sometimes it was that I had an offer, but I didn't, and also the other way around. Here it worked out in the end, so this is why we moved here.
1: Did you want to say something? You just said, "Look, like you wanted to say no, something." No,
0: I'm fine. <laughs> You're thinking. It's just interesting because the way we we th- we see things from different perspectives. So, give oh. me your perspective. <laughs> <laughs> well, about which question? About why we get we came here? About the transition period, or I mean, for me, it was more than just the financial part that was difficult. I think the first six months were very difficult for me emotionally, being far from the family, helping the kids acclimate, also getting used to doing different type of research and learning new skills. For me, it was a very humbling period. I think also the fact that it coincided with winter and it was suddenly when the spring came that I realized how much I missed the sun. (laughs) But afterwards, it, it was, I think, after about somewhere between six to eight months, I feel like my eyes opened up and I was like, wow, it's really cool living here. And we started enjoying living here much more after that initial period. And for me, the feeling that for coming here was that Roy felt very strongly that his opportunity here was the best one for him. And so I said, okay, in that case I'm gonna look for something here as well. And it turned out to be the best choice I could have made. I'm I can't express enough how grateful and happy I am in the position that I am right now. What
1: makes Switzerland unique if you compare it to Israel or the US regarding
0: research? In terms of research, I think the ETH is a very special place. I mean first of all, it's a collection of creative, motivated people that come from so many different backgrounds, and that diversity also Really feeds in a lot of the success of the ETH, the investment in resources and you know the facilities that we have. It's not something you find in many other places.
2: It's uh, very easy to do research here you know, to focus on the on the research and in Israel you have to do so many more administrative things and like what
1: like search for money for the universities or even
2: even just buying equipment is so much more difficult because of the. Tons of regulations and, yeah, so it's just in your way. And here it's, it's so much easier.
0: I think that there's a very clear priority for doing yeah. high-level research. And they, they not just talk the talk, they walk the walk. They put the money behind it. And and you see that that when there's something that's important to, to the research, then you'll find the money for it and they will facilitate it for you. And also the support staff the technicians, the secretaries we have here. Everybody is really on board with making life as as easy and as streamlined as you can so that the researchers can really focus on doing the science.
1: And what about having a family and researching? What does that look like? Um, Or what is your experience?
2: in, In the end, it just means that you have less time for your research. You have to utilize it better. But on the other hand... You have more time for your children. Okay. You have you have them.
0: So I have very strong opinions on this. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we come from a culture where a lot of people have kids in their PhD. And it's very commonplace and it's actually in some ways even expected. Um, so in that sense, it's not so much a surprise when a PhD student who is a female has children. And the Why system do you can, say female? Because, it's, because it's, you're the one who goes on maternity leave men don't have paternity leave in Israel. So at least not when we had ours.
1: Not in Switzerland either.
0: Yeah. So, well, I don't, I didn't have kids here, so I'm not, I'm not aware with that so much. But so in that sense, that's okay. I mean, I know that here in the ETH, for example, if a female PhD student goes on maternity leave, that counts against her contract time. In Israel, it doesn't. They freeze the clock on your PhD. So they do have systems to deal with that. And also, at least in my department, it was quite common that moms, went left earlier, left the lab earlier, and I mean it was it was acceptable. Here, there aren't a lot of people in this in this part of their career that have kids. So I think that the people around you don't really know so much how to deal with it. There it's it's not something that they've seen a lot. And I think that mostly your the way your environment reacts to it depends on the group culture. And I think some groups have cultures that are very supportive. And very accepting, like like my group, for example. And I think in other groups, um, women can feel like it's impossible for them to actually take maternity leave. It, would, it might actually cause them to have to quit the PhD altogether.
1: Is it something you talk about within your group? Like how do you organize life and work and
0: children and family and quality time and cleaning time? Um, I think people in Switzerland in general have a good balance between life and quality time. It's true that when you have kids then that balance shifts but there is a good understanding here of the importance of having personal time and having vacation time as opposed to what I th- the impression I get of the US and also in Israel it's not something I've talked about often but in my case you know if one of my kids were was sick or if there was if there's an event at the school like Christmas concert next week we have to go to I just say you know today I'm leaving at this in this hour and and that's just it. This isn't my life. I, there's nobody else here to take care of the kids. We don't have grandmas here. I mean, this is just us. And we we make it work between us. And sometimes if we have a sick kid, we'll do half days. One of us will have him for half of the day, and then we switch so the other one can get to work half the day.
1: And what's it like for you where you work? Is it difficult for you to say that you're going to the Christmas concert of your children? Or do no, the people understand? No, definitely,
2: definitely not. Also for me, it's very easy to walk from home. So it's okay if I, if I leave early take care of the children and once they go to sleep i can continue to do what i did before it's not it's never never has been an issue uh, for me
0: yeah but i think we're very fortunate because we have our mentors or bosses or however you call them here um i think we both lucked out in that department because i know from hearing from other people that this is not always the case
1: so how do you share your time i mean to have children in theory, is much easier than to really have them in a practical life, especially <laughs> if you true. live in a cold country and you have to put on a coat and a jacket and a sweater and socks and hats and gloves and it takes forever to leave the house.
0: So we, we have a routine usually. So in the morning, one of us will get ready and take the kids to school. The other one gets the kids ready and so and then we alternate that. So, for example, today, Roy took the kids in the morning. So I when I woke up, I was in charge of making sure that they were ready, making their lunch boxes and packing their swimming stuff so that by the time he was ready to leave, they were also ready. And then he took them. And then afterwards, I get ready and I go. And we do this uh, on alternating days, usually. And the same for the evening. So we alternate who picks them up from school and then the other one can get a couple more hours of work and then come home a bit later.
1: And how did you find this routine? Did you have mentors? I mean, you spoke Help about I your mentors in science, but... Uh, just figured it out. When
2: we started, it was also pretty common in Israel for other parents. We had a long day. You remember?
0: Yeah. We we had I had a long day in my PhD. We had
2: a long day. Back then, it was more challenging to <laughs> take off the older boy because we didn't know... What we were doing, okay? So we had to <laughs> yes. both be there together to change diapers and so on. But you know, oh, when with, he was a baby, when he was, yeah, when he was, yeah. uh, when
0: he was very small, I left, ho- I left work every day at three or even earlier if I needed to. And as he got older, and then and then the the younger one came along, it got to the point where we could each be with them by ourselves. We didn't need to have both of us on hand to to deal with it. When we first came here, the younger one was only one year old, so I also I would leave work a little bit earlier because I I felt like I needed to be home with them. Now they're older and they're also very happy uh, to stay longer in kindergarten because that's the free play time and they ask to stay longer. So we've stretched our working hours a bit longer.
1: If you explain to your kids, five and nine years old, what you do, what do you answer? How do you answer?
0: There are different levels of how I answer. The first answer is I use a computer to try to study molecules. And then I try to tell them the kinds of molecules that I want to study. So at the moment, I'm focused on compounds for organic electronics. So I try to explain to them the idea of photovoltaic cells and the idea of light emitting diodes. And, and like I show them, you have a cell phone and, the, you know, the screen is made up of these types of compounds. And we're trying to find ones that are, that are better, that, you know, they live longer or they, they, produ- they require less energy or they're better for the environment. And this is something that I think they can understand on that level.
1: And how do you explain it to your five- and nine-year-old? For me, it's much easier. I
2: just tell them that I make uh, animated movies, and they're very happy with that answer.
0: (laughs) So do they have preferences? I think they're kind of equally curious about all of the things. In in Roe's workplace, it's maybe more fun because they can actually touch stuff. In mine, I don't really take them into the lab. It's not as interesting.
1: (laughs) What does the family life or being a parent teach you for your research?
2: You value your time Mm -hmm. better, much better, yeah.
0: I think you value your time, and for me, I think it also puts a perspective on everything. The successes and also the failures in research get a different proportion to them when you put them against having a healthy family and happy kids, and it just forces you to see things from a different perspective and, and realize, okay, you know, this didn't work out, that's not the end of the world. And on the other hand, this did work out, and I'm happy about it, but also... This is not my entire life. I am defined by more than just my research.
1: Like you see a bigger overall picture.
0: And it's. I think it's good because I think, first of all, you shouldn't wrap up your happiness in just one thing. Um, but I also think I'm very happy that we can show our kids that we have careers that we really love, but we also really love them, and that it's possible to have both of these things. And um, I think it's really important for them to see grown-ups doing something that they enjoy and succeeding at it, but also finding time for their kids and knowing that success doesn't mean you have to give up one or the other.
2: But they they have their own interests that we see develop. So the older one is into mythology now and the younger one is into... Building. Uh, well,
0: Oh, the solar system. Yeah, oh, he's so into that. The planets and all of these things, and and he knows all of their names and the dwarf planets and the exoplanets and all these things and different solar systems. He has all of these very, very difficult questions, like what caused the Big Bang.
1: What do you answer? It's Nobody a very
0: knows. Religious
1: question? <laughs> no way.
0: No, we don't. We don't involve religion in these answers. We try to answer what we know based on scientific models or data, and we tell them, you know, there's things that we still don't know, and then. They have a job to look for these answers when they get older.
1: So it all sounds like it's easy for you guys. <laughs> it's not. It, it sounds like it's not a problem and you get along and you
0: Well, I think we do get along. I think have we have really good communication and we are one of the things that I really like about our relationship is that we can understand the pressures that we're under because we're in a very similar career track and and if I have something that's really urgent and you know, one of the kids is sick then Roy says, I'll take him today. Or we're very understanding, very supportive.
1: But you don't have lists like that Roy took care more often than you did or you did more than he did or something. Mm-hmm. A little bit. <laughs> a little bit.
0: What does that mean? You remember, mm-hmm. like you have a list in your head.
2: No, we died to... To, to uh, balance it. To balance. It. Yeah. That the
0: same person has to, you know, pick up slack more time than the other because we realize that, you know, we both need this time to be with the kids but also to be at work. So. Yeah. And we both travel... So we also try to to coordinate our traveling schedules, especially in the summer for conferences. We really try to be very considerate and to, to choose the conferences we go to so that it doesn't overlap and we can each go to the ones that are most important for us.
1: If a young couple comes to you and says, we know that you two had kids at a young age and you got your PhDs and you're successful researchers at ETH, if they came and asked you for advice because they want to have a family of their own, what what advice would you give them?
0: My advice would be don't put it off because I think that if you put it off, it will never be a good time. And I used to think that, oh yeah, you know, after the PhD would actually, things would calm down and maybe that would be an easier time with raising, raising the kids. And I realize now that it actually, it doesn't get easier, it just gets harder. So... I mean, in terms of balancing the career and the family. So, I actually think that having them when I did was the best thing. Because my PhD was actually quite flexible in that sense.
2: But also, there is no wash.
0: (laughs) He's the other side of the coin.
2: (laughs) We started early. Could be a little bit too early. but
0: You can't change it anymore?
2: Yeah, it doesn't matter. It is what Um, it is, yeah. I mean... you shouldn't be stressed about it.
0: No, I'm not saying you should do it. I mean, you should have start a family when you feel ready for it exactly. and, and when you really want to. I'm not saying you should do it just because you're afraid that later won't work out. Because you might find yourself many years later and regretting not doing it when you could have.
2: There's definitely no good time. Yeah. Like no. It's no,
0: it's no easy like, time.
2: It's not going to be better later.
1: And in practical life, what tips would you give? In um, everyday life?
2: I don't know. I think everyone needs to find their own balance. I used to listen to advices, now I say don't listen to advices <laughs> because you know what works for me doesn't necessarily works for other people. So yeah,
1: yeah that's, that's
0: true. I would still give my advice though. <laughs> what would yours be? My advice I think it boils down to a few things. So the first thing is to have mutual respect for each other's careers, for each other's time. And good communication about what our expectations are. And I think that if you have that, then you work out a system that works for you. And maybe our system wouldn't work for other people, but if you if you have good communication, then you find the one that does work for you. And I think that one of the things I've learned in the past year or so is that, especially when you have small kids and you're very stressed, outsource everything you can. If it's cleaning, if it's cooking, if it's, you know, getting a babysitter once or twice a week, if you can outsource it, and we are... Fortunately, uh, we can afford to do that to a certain extent. It really makes your life easier, and it allows you to have quality time rather than just quantity time. And that was a lesson that was hard for me to learn, and I'm really happy I learned it.
1: Thank you, Renana and Roy, for joining me here today in this episode of the ETH podcast. I produced this podcast together with Thieswachter's Audio Story Lab My name is Jennifer Kakshori, Sound Design by Luki Fretz.